Here's my title tonight. It's not just a ring. We're going to be talking about ringtones tonight. Gosh, I'm getting old. That was a dad joke. I'm getting so old. No, we're talking about marriage tonight. If we were to do a poll, there's probably a large number of people in here who want to get married one day. Probably, maybe a small number. But there's a large number of us who want to get married. Now, last week was amazing. It was an incredible panel. I hate I have to follow it. Uh, I loved last week. I did. I loved it. And what we talked about last week, we put a big emphasis on. Are you ready for this? Here it is. We talked about pornography, something that you don't hear mentioned a lot. We talked about pornography and ways to overcome that sin. We talked a little bit about dating. We talked about uh, a little bit about marriage, but more so on the lines of sexual morality and purity. Well, tonight I want to go deeper into marriage. I want us to talk about uh, how God views marriage versus how we view marriage. And I want to give you some, some action steps as to how you can pray. Now, I'm coming up on two years being married, so naturally I have all the answers. I have figured it out. I have done this long enough to know all the answers. I'm lying. <laughs> I wish I had all the answers. I don't. But I do believe that God's word has the answers. And that's where we're going tonight. And I also want you to know there's some mistakes that I made. I'm 26 now. There's some mistakes I made when I was 23, 24 that I believe could help you tonight if you'll learn <laughs> from where I messed up. Now, I want you to write this down from the very beginning. As we talk about it's not just a ring. Write this down. Selfishness is one of the greatest killers to any marriage. Not an amen in the bunch. <laughs> Brother Steve joke. Selfishness is one of the greatest killers to any marriage. Selfishness. We've been talking about it's not about me and dying to self. Well, listen, let me tell you something. I want you to die to yourself now as a college student so that when you get married, you understand what that marriage relationship is going to be like. A lot of Christians want to get married one day, but they're not willing to do what it takes to prepare today. I was writing down some of the reasons that things go wrong. Many people go into marriage believing it's all about me. The backwards of our sermon series. Instead of it's not about me, we go into marriage believing it's all about me and my pleasures, my desires, my gain. Uh, there's a lot of Christians who go into marriage simply because it means sex. Call it what it is. It's true. We rush into marriage because we so badly want to have sex. Sex is a great thing, but... Satan uses it oftentimes and twists it to be a bad thing in our lives. And it's not used in the proper context of marriage. And so a lot of Christians want to jump into marriage because of sex. There's a lot of people who want marriage simply to escape loneliness. And if we're honest, we got to call it what it is. There's a lot of people who want to get married so that they don't have that stigma of being 25 and single. Some people, the worst fear, I talked to some college students, and they'll tell me their worst fear is getting to 25 or 28 or 30 and being single. And I say, man, is that your driving force to get married? And they're, and they're like, yeah, pretty much. And I'm like, man, that's a really shallow reason to get married. All for appearance. But if we don't talk about it, we'll never address it. If you are in the room and you're wanting to get married simply to escape the presence and appearance of singleness, you have missed the point of marriage. You have missed the point of marriage. Sex is good. Wanting companionship is good. Not wanting to be lonely and wanting to be connected is good. These are good desires. However, what happens is when we make it all about us, marriage will become all about you. But what I want to show you tonight is that marriage is not about you. It's about Christ. In the same way that we live our lives and our lives are all about Jesus, and I just want to talk to you tonight, just a conversation about the word, but marriage is not about you. Marriage is about Christ. One day it will be about your spouse, and one day, if you're fortunate enough, it will be about your kids. I was doing some research this past week, and I found that, did you know, when asked about the reason why people wanted to get married, 
It was a big survey. People asked, why do you want to get married? 88%, are you ready for this? 88% of Americans said their number one reason was love. The, right, praise God. Yeah, you know where that was going, like to do drugs together. No, love. <laughs> like, you were like, what's he going to say? Like Americans, you could go anyway with Americans. Uh, love, which is good, which means, you know, you think about that other 12%, what would they say? But 88% say love. So love is a driving force behind why we want to get married. But I want to paint a picture for you. Here's the issue. If you don't have the love of Jesus Christ in your heart, and if the person you marry does not have the love of Jesus Christ in their heart, I want to say this to you. It doesn't matter how hard you try to love that other person without the love of Christ, your love will fail. <laughs> I want to tell you something here. Well, I might step on some toes tonight. I'm sorry. I, put, I blame it on the word. It's God's word. But if you are going to your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your future spouse to find a perfect love, the kind of love only Christ can give, you are setting up the person that you love to fail. But if you place yourself in a position where, number one, you're saved, you know Jesus Christ, you are walking in his love, you understand his love, and the person that you're pursuing understands his love and walks in his love, then that love will never fail. The love of Jesus Christ will never fail. But if it's left to you and me, we will fail. And that's the reason why just pursuing love in and of itself is not even enough for marriage. If you really want your marriage to thrive, you got to pursue after Jesus because he's the only real true love there is. That's holy, that's sinless, that's perfect. Jesus, you have to pursue after Jesus. Now, here's what happens when Christians start dating. I know we have a lot of people in the room that are dating, some people that aren't. Here's what happens. In college, Christians oftentimes become more dependent Hear me out on this. Don't just sit there and say, oh, not me. I hope so-and-so heard that. That couple over there that's always PDA, is that public display of affection? PDA, they're always, you know, smooching and stuff like that. I sound like a dad right now. Somebody come get me. Oh, my gosh. I'm like 26. No, for you, listen, there's a lot of Christians who start dating, and they become dependent on their boyfriend or girlfriend for love and affirmation more than they're dependent on Jesus Christ. On Jesus Christ. It happens. I know. And listen, here's the thing. If you are in that place, it's never too late. Jesus can redeem you from that. He can become your first love again. And you don't want to lead. You don't want one day in your marriage, the worst thing I could do is lead Hannah to love me as her number one priority. The best thing I can do is lead her to love Jesus as her number one priority. And you want to establish that now. I wrote down, relying on Christ for your ultimate love. Hear me out on this. This won't be on the screen. Relying on Christ for your ultimate love and not the person you date or marry is the most loving thing you can do for the person you date or marry. Isn't that amazing? Let me give it to you one more time. Somebody said one more time? Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, if you want me to say something again, I'll say it again. It's from the Word. Relying on Christ for your ultimate love and not the person you date or marry is, in fact, the most loving thing you can do for the person you date or marry. Uh, your boyfriend is not your ultimate hope. Your girlfriend is not your ultimate source of affection. When you don't handle those insecurities and singleness, you'll drag it into dating and you'll drag it into marriage. I want to do this very quickly so we can jump into the text. When I was a kid, I went to this birthday party and there was this other kid at the party. We all know those kind of kids growing up who just did stupid things for stupid reasons. 
We all know those kind of kids. They just do stupid things for stupid reasons. They never wear deodorant. They're kind of loud and obnoxious. Some of you are like, I didn't have anybody like that growing up. I, I hate to be the one to tell you. It might have been you. And uh, I'm just kidding. I would never say that. And uh, we were at this party, and this kid, he was trying to be funny. He was doing stupid things. He runs up to the pool, and he is a pool party. He jumps into the pool with his clothes on. <laughs> you know those kind of kids. He jumps into the pool with his clothes on. And I remember watching this as a kid. He's in the pool, and he comes up, and his clothes get heavier and heavier. And they're weighing him down to the point where eventually people had to go in to get him out of the water and get him back above. <laughs> and it's crazy because as I thought about this this week, I didn't see it as a kid, but I see it now. Looking at him, I understood the necessity, watch, I understood the necessity of shedding unnecessary layers and baggage before I jump into a pool, otherwise it's going to weigh me down when I'm in the water. Hear me, there's a lot of Christians who don't understand the danger of shedding and literally stripping away unnecessary baggage and sin in their lives before they jump into marriage, because if you don't handle it in marriage, when you get in the water, you're going to start to sink. That's why you deal with stuff while you're single. Because when you do, what's amazing is when you get into the water and you got your swim trunks on, you start swimming and you start having fun and you start having amazing because you have dealt with extra baggage. When you go into marriage, do not go into it carrying that baggage and that sin and that selfishness. Die to it now. And then marriage becomes fun and amazing. And it's not this, y'all know that feeling when your clothes get wet. It's not that feeling that's just weighing you down your entire marriage. So let's jump into it. Let's talk about what we have to do Today, Look with me at Hebrews chapter 13. This is an amazing chapter. We don't know the author of Hebrews. This is an amazing chapter that has a lot of exhortations in it. It begins with not neglecting to show hospitality uh, without welcomed uh, angels as guests without knowing it. It talks about remembering those who are in prison and who are suffering right now and being below you. And then what's amazing is, I don't know if you're familiar with this verse. Some of you probably are. Verse 4 is an amazing verse, and I want to turn your attention to it. Verse 4 says that marriage is to be honored by all. If you have a pen, under that, underline that statement in your Bible. Marriage is to be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Marriage is to be honored by all. Will you pray with me for a moment? Heavenly Father, right now in this moment, God, I know there's many in the room tonight who feel like they're walking underwater. God, I know that there's many college students in the room who have attacks from the enemy on them. God, I know that even right now in this room, there's spiritual attacks, there's spiritual warfare. Father, I know that the devil would love to discourage these students. I know that the devil would love to distract these students right now and miss what you have for them tonight. But Father, both of those are rebuked in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray right now that you would speak every word. Father, use me as your vessel. I, we don't care what I have to say, Lord. We want to hear what you have to say, so please speak to us tonight. Father, I just pray that right now you would open up the hearts and the minds of all of us to understand marriage, how you view it. God, save someone tonight. God, save someone tonight. And if that's your prayer tonight, will you say amen? Amen. Number one, if you're taking notes, I want us to walk through this right here. Marriage in God's eyes. Let's talk about the Lord's eyes. I'm going to give you a lot of different scripture references. I want you to write down the reference for sure. Um, marriage in God's eyes. Let me tell you, God values marriage. 
God values marriage a lot more than many Christians realize, and definitely our culture, God values marriage. God values marriage so much that he has literally filled the Bible with weddings and ceremonies and covenants. And God has literally used marriage all across the Old Testament and the New Testament. What's amazing is, watch this, and I want to try to walk through this with you. Please don't miss what God has for you tonight. In the Bible, God is always portrayed as the bridegroom, and his people are always portrayed as the bride. And it's this working together relationship. If you don't believe me, I want to show you. Look at the screen. Write this reference down. Isaiah 54, 5. This is the CSB. Indeed, look at this verse. Indeed, your husband is your maker. Capital M, that's the Lord. Look at this. His name is the Lord of armies. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of the whole earth. Right there, it's painting this picture that God is the husband to Israel, his people. Not just Isaiah 54, 5, but look with me at Isaiah 62, 5. Look at this. For as a young man marries a young woman, so your sons will marry you. And as a groom, look at this, rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Now I want to give you two verses in the NIV. Jeremiah 3, 14. Look at this verse right here. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. God can't say it any clearer than that. I am your husband. I will choose you, one from a town and two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. And then probably one of my favorites, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 and 32. This is the NIV as well. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by hand to lead them out of Egypt. We literally just sang that. We literally just worshipped about the concept that just how, watch this, just how God led Israel out of slavery through the wilderness to a promised land. That God, through Jesus Christ, has come down to this earth, found you in your sin, called you out of sin, broke those chains, and then has literally now been leading you to the promised land. That's what that worship song is all about. It is not just a moment that happened in the Old Testament. It is what you and I are supposed to experience in our relationship with Jesus. I want to tell you something. This isn't in my notes. There's a lot of people who believe that heaven is nothing more than a destination. They believe that eternal life is nothing more than a destination. Eternal life is absolutely heaven. But I want you to understand that eternal life began the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Which means you are called to literally walk in your eternal life while still on this earth. Some of you still aren't with me. Watch it this way. In other words, you and I are called to experience heaven while we are here on this earth. If not, when we got saved, God would have taken us straight to heaven. But he didn't. He left us here so that we could walk in eternal life. In other words, love people with the love of Jesus. Make a difference in this world, not for our name and our kingdom, but for God's name and God's kingdom. <laughs> If you're living for your name and your kingdom, it will fall away. It will be destroyed. But if you're living for God's kingdom, God's kingdom will never be destroyed. You say, I don't believe that. Okay. Let me tell you something. What's the name of your great-great-grandfather? Do you know the name of your great-great-grandfather? You know, if I took a poll, about 90 to 95% of us wouldn't even know the name of our great-great-grandfather, but we're still rejoicing and worshiping over the name of Jesus that's 2,000 years old. So you realize there's a high likelihood that your great-great-grandson or granddaughter might not know your name? And you know what? It's great if they don't know your name. You better make sure they know the name of Jesus. <laughs> yeah, goodness gracious. Praise God. I got to keep moving. We're going to be here all night. 
I got to keep, that's fine. Thank you. Amen. That's fine. There's people in the back like, uh-uh. <laughs> like, I got to get to El Patron. <laughs> Chicken, cheese, and rice. Sorry. Chicken, cheese, and rice. <laughs> El Patron. It's a place in Bartlett. Am I saying it wrong? <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Help me afterwards, Salsa. You don't even, oh, I ain't even go there, man. How about that? Boy, I was about to end your career. I'm moving on. Not just, I was about to get you, boy. We got to go on, man. Somebody help me with the pronunciation of it later. I love Mexican food, though. The entire book of Hosea, I don't know how many of you have read Hosea. The entire book of Hosea explains, watch this. It's a crazy concept, going along the same concept. The entire book of Hosea breaks down this idea of how Israel cheated on God with other false gods. The entire book breaks it down like it's a marriage because that's what it is. And, and how Israel constantly chose to be unfaithful in their relationship to God and, and cheated with false gods. Little statues that they made that are no more God than that trough right there. It'd be like us worshiping that trough. That's what they did in the Old Testament. They would build gods with their own hands and they would worship in that statue. But really they were worshiping their hands which really means they were worshiping themselves, which means when we build some huge platform on social media and start building ourselves up and start putting our identity in that, not that it's wrong, but when you start putting your identity in that, you're worshiping an object. You're worshiping something that's not God. I can't say it any clearer. Now, isn't it a shame? Now, I mean level with me here. Jokes aside, I love that we can laugh in here. That's good. But isn't it a shame, I wrote this down, that a humanity which so desperately craves companionship so badly from other humans, has rejected it from God for thousands of years. In a shame, every single one of us, Gen Z and millennials, we so badly want companionship, we don't even know how to be alone anymore. And yet we've rejected it for 20 some odd years from God who is all knowing and all present and trying to be our greatest friend. <laughs> In Exodus 24, and I really don't want you to miss this here, this is important, God makes a covenant we keep using that word covenant. He makes a covenant with the nation of Israel. A covenant in the Old Testament was a big deal. It was a commitment to not break your word. Watch this. You're probably familiar with Genesis 15 when God makes the blood covenant with Abraham. And then God doesn't walk through the sacrificial line, meaning that God took the covenant on himself. But what I want you to know is when God made that covenant, it was a blood covenant. And if a blood covenant was broken in the Old Testament, that meant the life of that person who broke it. That's how serious they took commitments and covenants and the structure and the setting of the Old Testament. But you and me, we don't value commitment and covenant and promises that way today. There is not a single person in here who has read the terms and conditions on your Apple iPhone. <laughs> not a single person. Yet every single time it pops up on my phone, we hit uh, accept. <laughs> And we commit to whatever contract, is, whatever it says. We don't know. We just want to get to Apple Music. And we hit accept. And we're committing to that contract. We flaunt on our friends. We, we commit to do something and then we back out because we don't really value our commitment, which really says we don't value that person. We don't value commitment and our word in today's world. But I want to tell you, when God made a covenant, he had no other option but to keep it. And the reason why is because he was 100% faithful and sinless. So God is not going to go against his own word. That's why when you hear people use the churchy language of, uh, I trust in God's word, it's because his word is not just information. Watch this. It's revelation. 
and it shows you who he is, not just what you're supposed to do. It's not just an instruction manual. It's literally revelation from the Lord. Now, if you look closely at the covenant in Exodus 24, you'll see something amazing. If you will, look with me at the screen. In Exodus 24 and verse 1, he says to Moses, he tells him to bow in worship at a distance. And then in verse 2, look at what it says in verse 2. Now, make sure you have this reference written down, but I really want you to see this. Moses alone is to approach the Lord, but the others are not to approach, and the people are not to go up to him. Moses came and told, look at this, Moses comes to the people of Israel and tells them all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. Then all the people, look at this, the people responded. There's a response. When God's word goes forth, you have to respond to it. It's either obeying or disobeying. And they respond, and look what they say, with a single voice, we will do everything that the Lord has commanded. Do you see what's happening there? See, a lot of us miss it. Watch this. Exodus 24, covenant, God and his people. This is going to be on the screen. I want to walk through this point by point. Make sure you write this down. This is what we have happening in this passage. See, if you read this out of context, you wouldn't know what's going on. Here's what's going on. What preceded this moment at the mountain was three days of sanctification in which part of that process was the people washing their clothes. And when they came to the mountain, look at this, they wore all white. Sound familiar? Wearing all white? Not just that, but then they approached the mountain. There is a centralized location for them to gather. There is a coming together, Salas, of the people here. They're approaching the mountain together where the Lord is. And then they have Moses as the mediator. Moses is here. Look at this. He's bringing the people to God and God to the people. He is the mediator between the two. But not just that. There is a, here's the word, a wedding agreement, which is the Ten Commandments. Moses read off all the expectations and the agreement of the covenant. He reads this agreement, and then look at the response. Did you notice that? Look at it. And the response of the people was, we will do What does that sound familiar like, Trey? It sounds like today when we're getting married and we say, I do. What you have right here in this passage is a wedding ceremony. It is a wedding between God and his people. It is literally God coming together with his people for an agreement with Moses as a mediator. And then we know all the references in the New Testament where Jesus Christ is that mediator. Now I want to ask you a question. Do you think God values marriage? I'll ask it again. Do you think God values marriage? Let me tell you something. Marriage is how God revealed his love, compassion, gentleness, and his word to his people. Marriage is how God is committing himself faithfully to his people. Marriage is how Jesus Christ will come back and be reunited with the church, a.k.a. his people. Marriage is valued in God's eyes, but we don't see it this way. We don't view marriage the way God views marriage because oftentimes we're so influenced by how the world views marriage. It's a ceremony. It's a coming together. And when you look at the life of Jesus Christ, how he treats his church, one word comes to mind. And it's not selfishness, Paul. It's sacrifice. One day when you get married, I want you to understand, if you have not understood the concept of sacrifice yet, you will when you get married. 
And I'm not just talking about, we laugh, I'm not just talking about when you go to a Mexican restaurant and you want to go and get Mexican food, but she wants a salad, so you're like, all right, we'll go to Panera Bread. I'm not talking about just that sacrifice. I'm not talking about just what TV show we're going to watch tonight or or what movie we're going to put on, although I'm not very good at sacrificing in that because we always watch what I want to watch. You can help keep me me vulnerable. Now, don't you say so true? Like I'm married to you, man. He said so true. (laughs) You're going to learn sacrifice. I am in the process of learning sacrifice. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ when he was on this earth, gave up every single thing for his bride. He laid down his life for the church. He laid down his life for the world. He literally sacrificed everything he had. So if you go into marriage believing it's all about you instead of understanding it's all about sacrifice, you're not going to have a very fulfilled marriage. Sacrifice. Sacrifice, 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 laying down yourself, literally dying to your flesh, realizing that this world does not evolve around you. It doesn't. And I know that's hard to hear, but it is what it is. You and I are not the sinner. Jesus Christ is. And uh, I wrote this down. And I want you to really think about it. If you walk out thinking about anything, I want you to think about this. How you treat your relationship with Christ today is a good indicator of how you'll treat your relationship with your spouse tomorrow. Yeah, you evaluate. I had to evaluate in my own heart. I got to evaluate every day. How you treat your relationship with Christ today is a good indicator of how you will treat your spouse tomorrow. To be real, when I was single at 22, I had a lot of selfish desires and motives as to why I wanted to get married. When I came into the church, you got to understand, coming from the world, I was very much believing I would get married at 30 because the world's not in a rush to get married. They want all the things that go into marriage without the commitment. But when you get to the church, people are in a rush to get married. When I stepped into the view, I was like, man, these folks are hungry for a ring. (laughs) I've never seen a group of people that want to get married so bad in my life. (laughs) Like, what is wrong with these people? All they do is talk about marriage. I was like, guys, you know, you don't have to get married by 25. And they're like, oh, yes, you do. I was like, where does it say that? I'm like flipping through the Bible and stuff. I'm a new believer. They're like, where did God say 25, ring by spring? He doesn't say it. God never says have a ring by spring or your identity is gone. That's the world. That's oftentimes the church. Sheesh. Wish I could expand on that. Thank you for laughing. Somebody was like, amen. <laughs> but when I was 22, I was very selfish. I was very selfish in why I was dating and why I wanted to get married. And watch this. When I looked at my relationship with Jesus Christ at the time, there was a lot of selfishness too. Here's what I mean. I can't lay it out any more clearer than this. I really didn't make a whole lot of time to prioritize prayer with Jesus. I really was not prioritizing spending time talking to Jesus. Someone, sometime, a mentor confronted me and said, let me ask you something. So you're single and you're dating. You were single, now you're dating and you're wanting to get married. Let me ask you something. You're claiming to be ready to go into marriage, right? I said, yep. He said, so, so you're claiming to be responsible for another person and that you're going to be able to make time to effectively communicate with them daily, but you can't even effectively communicate with God daily? He literally looked at me. He said, it was Ben Taylor. He literally looked at me. He said, let me tell you something. How in the world are you going to communicate with your spouse when you both work two full-time jobs and you're both going to be fully busy if you can't even talk to God every day who's available 24-7? 
So here's your application. If you're in the room and you want to date or get married, but you are not making time to talk to Jesus every day, you are not ready to date or get married. <laughs> there it is. If you want to leave, the door's in the back. <laughs> if you want to leave, the door's in the back. But I got to tell you, if you are not making time to get in God's word and to pray every day, not being perfect, but making an effort to spend quality time with Jesus, if you're not prioritizing that, you are not ready to date or lead another person. You're not. You're not. And for me, it was never about perfection. But when I looked at my heart, I was too happy talking to God three times a week. And if you're happy talking to God three times a week, there's a good chance when you're married one day, you'll be happy talking intentionally to them three times a week. I can't paint it any clearer for you. I promise. Here's your great encouragement. If you will talk to God every day, you're like, oh, goodness, here comes Sunday school. If you will talk to God every day as best as you can, not religiously, but relationally. Did you hear that? If you will focus on talking to God every day and letting God talk to you every day, you will be so amazed how God's timing will perfectly line up for you to date when he's ready for you to date, to get married when you're ready to get married, and you don't feel like you got to force it. So you say, Daniel, what's my action step? Get in this as best you can every day and get on your face praying as best you can every day. Memorize the word, fast over the word, love other people, pursue after Jesus Christ, and God will line up the rest of the bowling pins to be knocked down. You got to stop setting them up on your own and trying to knock them down. Let God do it. I looked at myself. I was selfish. My reason to get married was selfish. This will be on the screen. If your motive to date or marry is ultimately self-centered, your relationship with Christ is probably also self-centered. Let's talk about what this concept looks like. What this concept looks like is when you go to pray, if your prayers are all about just getting something from God, you might be missing the point of prayer. Prayer is not just about being blessed by God. It's by realizing that you are sitting in the absolute presence of God. It's about literally sitting with God. Christmas is coming around. I don't care what Hannah gets me for Christmas. She could get me socks. They could be white striped socks for all I care. What I ultimately want at Christmas is to spend time with her. That's it, year round. I don't care about the presents. They're great and they look good. But ultimately, the main thing I want is to spend time loving and talking to my wife. And let me tell you something. Is that how you are with your relationship with Jesus Christ? Is it about talking and sitting at his presence? I got to move on. This is really good. Write this down and you can take this with you to the bank. The ultimate goal of marriage is to bring ultimate glory to God. The ultimate goal of marriage is to bring ultimate glory to God. That's the ultimate reason. Ben Stewart said marriage is not just designed by God. It is meant to display something about God, which is really cool. We're going to turn to Ephesians. Marriage is not just designed by God. It is meant to display something about God. And I want you in your Bible, I want you to look at this in your Bible. Go to Ephesians chapter 5 with me. Hebrews 13 verse 4 says that marriage is to be honored by all and the bed of marriage is to be left undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Well, I want you to look at Ephesians 5 where Paul also talks about marriage here. I need to turn as well. Ephesians chapter 5. And these are some incredible verses 
And I don't want you to miss this. This is very, very important. Look with me at Ephesians 5, verse 31. Look what Paul says. He's quoting out of Genesis here. He says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He ends the quote of Genesis, and look what he says here. He says, This mystery. Underline mystery in your Bible. (laughs) This mystery is profound, but I am talking about, the, about Christ and the church. There's an important thing that we have to understand here. This is so crucial when you talk about marriage. When Paul says mystery, and this isn't the first time he says it in the New Testament, when Paul says mystery, what is he talking about here? It's just you and me. Think about this. He talks about mystery. What Paul is not saying, he's not saying that marriage is a mystery. You understand that, Allie? Like, marriage is not a mystery. Marriage is easy to understand. We're the ones who make it hard to understand because of sin. <laughs> he doesn't, marriage is not the mystery. But what he is saying here, he's saying that a godly marriage between a woman and a husband, a godly marriage is supposed to, watch this, reveal to the world the mystery that is Christ's love for his people. What he's saying is, he's saying that one day when you get married, your marriage should be so loving, so sacrificial, so selfless, that it literally, when people look at it, they don't just see a married, happy couple, but it is literally sharing the gospel with them. That your marriage should literally be a three circles example. It's an evangel cube. That literally your marriage is revealing to the lost world the love Christ has for his people. Because you and I don't fully understand Christ's love for his people. I don't understand how somebody like Jesus can be fully God and choose to step down from glorious heaven, come down to sinful earth, die on a cross for a bunch of people who mock and spit on him, and then rose from the grave later. That's a different kind of love. Paul's saying that your love should be the type of marriage that reveals that love to other people. Let me tell you something. The last thing you want when you get married The last thing you want when you get married, the last thing you want when you get married is to have a marriage that reveals to everybody else not the love of Jesus, but instead reveals the sin of this world. That is the last thing. And sadly, when you look at a lot of marriages today, it's not revealing the mystery of Christ, but it's revealing the mystery of anger. It's revealing the mystery of unrighteous anger. It's revealing the mystery of selfishness. You look at a lot of married couples, you see selfishness. You see pride. You see ego. You see gossip. You see backstabbing. You see literally the world when you look at a lot of marriages. Paul says it shouldn't be like that. Paul says when you get married, you and your marriage should be so kind, so gentle, so humble, so self-denying that literally people look at it and they see the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that what you want? Let me tell you something. That's what I want for my marriage every day, Aliana. Every day I want my marriage to be the kind of love that is pointing people to Jesus, not anything else in this world. And you know what? It's hard. It's hard. Because <laughs> you truly got to pick up your cross and carry it. reveals the mystery of Christ's love. Marriage brings pleasure, but it's not ultimately about pleasure. Marriage brings companionship, but it's not ultimately about 
companionship. Those two cannot be the priority. And hear me, I know this is for somebody tonight. God wouldn't allow this in my notes if this was not for somebody tonight. Companionship is not the ultimate priority. Whether they are cute or not is important. It is not the ultimate priority. And what I want you to understand, if you are saved, if you are a believer... I don't care how cute that person is. I don't care how fuzzy they make you feel on the inside. If you are a believer and you are dating someone that is not a believer, you need to make a phone call and break up with them tonight. You need to break up with them tonight. I don't care how much you have in common with them. If you're a believer and you don't have a relationship with Jesus in common with them, you don't have anything worth having in common with them. And you say, Daniel, okay, great. Is that your opinion? No, it's not my opinion. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Look at this. He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Don't become partners with those who do not believe in what the gospel. (laughs) So listen, be nice. Encourage them. Pray for them. Love them. You are not to be ugly to them. But do you understand me? You are not called to date them unless they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know that's for somebody. And it may be just one person. Maybe you're in the back. Maybe you're on the front row. But if you're here tonight and you're in that situation, what I want you to know is come and talk to me right after this service. I'm serious. I don't have all the answers. But if you're in that situation, you're dating someone who is not a believer, you come up here. I'll be right up here at the front. You come talk to me, and me and my wife will help you through that situation through Scripture. We're literally, I'm not going to give you something like that and then just say, bye, you know, enjoy cookout. Like if you are in that, like you're in the cookout parking lot, hey, babe, we need to talk. <laughs> what the pastor say tonight? <sighs> oh, <laughs> You come and talk to me. We'll literally, we will help you. We will walk through it (laughs) with you. Don't be partners. So here's the deal. If you are in the room and pleasure is your ultimate reason you want to date, stop and find your pleasure in Jesus Christ. If you're in the room and your ultimate reason for wanting companionship, is your ultimate reason for wanting to date is companionship, stop and find your companionship with Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight, many of you are, and you are dating, or you want to date, and the ultimate reason is good, it's to bring glory to God. That is your ultimate reason. That's really the only reason. You want to bring glory to God. Here's what I'll tell you. Pray. 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 If you're dating, pray. If you want to date, pray. And give it over to God and stop worrying. There are some people who are single and they're so concerned with who they're going to date that literally everywhere they go, they bump into somebody and they're like, are you the one? (laughs) Oh, my gosh, Mom, this guy paid for my cookout tray. He might be the one. And your mind literally cannot focus on evangelism because you're thinking about, is that guy or girl the one for me? You're going to be so focused on finding the one, you miss the one. (laughs) It's Ben Taylor. He told me that. So hear me. If your ultimate reason is good, pray. And listen, when God says date, you date. If God says don't date, you don't date. God bless you. (laughs) You don't date. And you take it and you learn from God. Because here's the thing, and then we're moving on. Ultimately, it comes down to trust. Man, I wish I had more time tonight. It comes down to trust. It comes down to do you trust God enough in your singleness? If you learn to trust God in singleness, you'll trust him when you're dating. If you trust him when you're dating, you'll trust him when you're engaged. If you trust him when you're engaged, I believe you'll probably trust him when you're married. 
But if you don't trust God in your singleness, how in the world will you trust him when dating or engagement or marriage gets hard? When marriage is not all pretty and it's not the romance era, trust God in your season of life. Number two, marriage in the world's eyes. Let's talk about marriage in the world's eyes for a moment. If if in the Old Testament marriage was a partnership between God and his people, we know how God treated his partnership. He loved them. But how did God's people, Zach, treat their covenant with God? Well, they treated it like it was the bachelor. God bless you. Woo! That was loud. That was strong. They treated it like it was the bachelor. They went from false God to false God to false God to false God. Literally, If you want to know how the world views marriage, look at Israel in the Old Testament, not for all of the history, but for a good amount of the history. They constantly chose false gods, and they were cheating on false gods. Here's the amazing concept of it. God said that when they were cheating on him with false gods, that's the same thing as you and me cheating in our marriage one day. That is literally the same concept. They cheated, and if you're not walking in the spirit, anybody in this room is capable of cheating They cheated on God. Oftentimes we cheat on God with social media. We cheat on God with loving other people more than we love God. We cheat on God by loving our relationship with our boyfriend or girlfriend more than God. We make them the center, and God's just another piece going around the clock. They cheated on God, and James 4 speaks to this. James 4, verse 4 says, you adulterous people. James didn't play no games. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Doesn't mean you hate the world, but it means that because you love God, the world hates the things that God loves. And if you love God, you'll start to love the things that God loves, which means you and the the world are at a conflict. That if you're truly loving God, you and the world have tension there. There, There's not an alignment of your beliefs. Now, as I told you my testimony, I wasn't saved for the majority of college, and I had a lot of lost friends. I had a lot of lost friends. I had a lot of friends who I still do now. I had a lot of friends who don't believe in the Bible, don't believe in God, don't worship Jesus. And I had a lot of friends then in college. When I was at University of Memphis, and I want to tell you something, there was one time I remember one of the guys who I was close with when I was in college, a U of M student. I remember that he was not a believer like I wasn't, and he was dating. And they were together, and they were living together, they were having sex together, and they were living in sin, and he had no remorse over it. And I remember this <clears throat> like it was uh, yesterday. Uh, he, had a, he was thinking about proposing to her, and I remember him saying this to me. He said, uh, he said, yeah, I might propose, but honestly, why should I? I'm getting all the benefits of marriage now. And that was his mindset. And, you know, there's a lot of Christians who, if they're not careful begin trying to take the benefits of marriage and have them while they're dating. That's sin. You got to call it what it is. You are not supposed to be more emotionally attached to your boyfriend or girlfriend than you are to God. That's wrong. Sex before marriage is wrong. God has called you to save that special. Remember, God views marriage as a sacred bond. He has called you to save that for marriage. You don't get to just enjoy the benefits of being with anybody that you want just because you aren't married. And that was his mindset, but that didn't hit me the most. This is what hit me in the gut. And this is what I want to make sure we hit on tonight. Because I know there's a lot of people who have been affected by this. He looked at me. He said, I'll probably propose. Watch this. Don't miss this. And if I regret it, I'll just get a divorce. 
If that doesn't hit you in the gut a little bit, I want to have a conversation with you. I was floored, even as a lost person. You hear the silence in the room right now? That's the Holy Spirit working in people's hearts. <laughs> I was floored, even as a lost person. I was like, golly, really? Like, you got divorce on the table like that? Here's how it goes with food in my house. If there's food on the table, I'm going to find a way to eat it. Whether I'm hungry or not, if there's sugar cookies out, I'm going to mosey in there at 1 a.m. and eat the sugar cookies. I mean, I'll just start tiptoeing in there. I'm going to find some food. Look, if it's on the table, I find it. I take it. And let me tell you something. If you go into marriage with divorce on the table, it's probably just a matter of time. Why would you put divorce on the table before you ever even propose? Here's the sad thing. There's a lot in this room, though, who have that in the back of their mind, if we're honest. Oh, if it, if, uh, gosh, if I get to a point where I'm unhappy, I'll just get a divorce. If I get to a point where he or she is not meeting my needs, and if, uh, if, if this happens or that happens, and I'll just sign the papers and get out. Let me tell you something. That is not love. That's selfish manipulation. <laughs> That is not love. What if Jesus Christ did you that way? What if Jesus Christ literally says, man, if I get unhappy with them people, I'm just going to leave them and forsake them. That wouldn't be love. No, when God made his covenant with the Israelites, God was making it forever. Israel was making it to cheat on idols. If you go into marriage not understanding why this is circular, you've missed the point of God's sacredness of marriage. The reason why this is a circle is because there's no end to it. It's infinite. It keeps going and going and going. And that's where the whole concept comes from. It's not just a ring. It's not just something you put on. It's not just a season of life you get to. It is literally the most sacred bond and relationship you will have. And God wants you to view it that way. And until you view your relationship with Jesus as number one, marriage will always struggle when it comes to being number two. Always. Jesus is number one, and then your marriage one day will be number two, and you hold on to that. You don't go into it with divorce on the table. That's why when you look at divorce in our nation, that's why I hear some statistics. That's why every 13 seconds there's a divorce in America. I don't know how long I've been preaching tonight, maybe a half hour. <laughs> yeah, half hour, like 45 minutes, honestly. I don't know how long I've been preaching tonight, but... Every 13 seconds, there's a divorce in America. Almost 50% of all marriages end in divorce. We have well over 300 people in here. That means if all of us were to get marriage, married, going off of the statistics of America, half, 150 in this room, cut down the middle, would get a divorce. Isn't that sad? Man, isn't, doesn't that break your heart a little bit? Aren't you like, wow, God's sacred bond, and we are just using it for selfish gain to dip when we start feeling bad? The U.S. has the sixth highest divorce rate in the world. The sixth highest divorce rate in the world. And this one hurt. I mean, this one, this one hit me different. Look at this. The average years until divorce in a marriage is seven years. Seven years. Do you know the average age that people get married? 23. So I would argue people get out of college at 22, they get out of college at 23, they rush, they go straight into marriage at 23, and then that divorce comes right around the time they're 30 because they don't have the love of Jesus. They're not grounded on God's word. They don't know what God's word says about marriage, about loving a spouse. And when they're 30, divorce comes around, and then you have kids involved. And I don't want to scare you tonight, but I want you to understand 
You do not need to be prioritizing dating and marriage if you're not prioritizing your relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to stop walking around looking for who can I look at, who's attractive, who looks cute, and you need to focus your eyes on Jesus Christ. Now, where you are, whether you're 18 or whether you're 24, no matter where you are in the room tonight, I want you to understand there are some key things that you can pray right now. Number three is how to pray for your future marriage. And I want to make sure you write these down, and I want to encourage you how you can pray. Starting today, if you want to pray, uh, and I wish I could give you more things. I, I really can't, but I want to give you some of the ones that I think are top and really good to pray. Um, you don't truly want anything that you don't pray for. I've said it to many people. I've said it to college students. Show me what you pray for. I'll show you what you live for. <laughs> show me what you pray for. I'll show you what you live for. The first thing I want you to pray for is for pray for salvation slash their relationship with Christ. Pray for salvation slash relationship with Christ. The most important thing that you can pray for when it comes to your future spouse is for them to get saved. I'll never forget on my wedding day in 2018. My father-in-law came up to me, and I had seen Hannah. She was in her dress. She was beautiful, wearing all white, and uh, she was beautiful, and her dad had saw her, and she was beautiful, and it was this awesome wedding day. It was in November, coming up on two, two years this month. Amen? Praise God. And uh, I remember her dad came to me, my father-in-law now. He came to me. He said, Daniel, I want you to know something. I was like, man, does he have a shotgun? <laughs> like, is this where it ends? Like, Daniel, get out of here. <laughs> you know? And uh, he comes up to me. He said, Daniel, I want you to know something. Before she was ever born, we were praying for her future husband. And he said, when she was born, we were praying for her future husband. And all the years that she's been alive, we've been praying for her future husband. We just didn't know that it was you. And he said, one of the things that they pray for was for me to truly know Jesus Christ. They prayed for that. Before I was ever born, they, pr they were praying for me to get saved when I was 20 years old rebellious, living in sin, angry at the world. They were praying for my salvation when they didn't even know who I was. They were praying for me. Do you know the weight of that when that hit me? Let me ask you something. If you really want a godly marriage one day, why are you not praying for them to truly know Jesus Christ and get saved? Why are you not praying for that? Because that is the most important thing that you can pray for. You know, I'm sure that Hannah wanted to know who she was going to marry when she was a freshman or sophomore in college. I'm sure she wanted to know. You know, I bet there's some freshmen, sophomore, junior in here who are like, man, I would love to know who I'm going to get mar married to. But, you know, God didn't show Hannah that it was going to be me because God was busy trying to get me saved. <laughs> Literally, I want to pose it to you. You might not know who you're going to marry because God is working on their heart to get saved. What if you prayed for them? <laughs> And when it comes to relationship with Christ, they may not be loving Jesus fully right now, and you could be praying for that. And God doesn't show you who it is. And I might dare just flip the, flip the switch. It might be you. Like, it might be you who's not truly loving Jesus, and God's trying to get your attention and wake you up before he ever moves you into a season of dating, of getting married. Maybe you're running into roadblocks every single turn trying to get engaged because God's trying to say, hey, slow down. You're missing the whole season of dating. Just focus on some marriage so you can have some cute pictures to post online. You're missing the whole season of dating just thinking about when is the soonest I can get married. What if you are the one that God is trying to wake up and say, hey, if you would just love me and focus on me, I will line up everything else because my timing, God's timing is perfect. It is absolutely perfect.
So are you praying? Would you pray for them to truly know Jesus? And then would you pray for your relationship and their relationship with Jesus Christ? To not just gloss over singleness, but to literally use it as a time to extend God's kingdom. I want to give you some amazing verses. And I want to show you how I prayed this over my wife Hannah before I met her. I would come up here to Bellevue in a parking lot and I would pray this. It's Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 13. I want you to write this reference down with you. And I want to show you how I prayed this. When I was 22, single, when I began dating, how I prayed this. Colossians 1, verse 9 to 13. Paul says, for this reason, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. He is talking to the believers. He's talking to the Colossians and he's telling them that they have not stopped praying for them. And then he says, we are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I would go to a park at night. I would say, Lord, I pray right now to, that you would fill me with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and all spiritual understanding. Stay right here. And then I would say, Lord, I don't know who my future wife is. I hadn't met Hannah at the time. But I said, Lord, you know who she is. Even as a new believer, I knew God was all-knowing. Some of us in this room don't even realize he's all-knowing. You know who she is, and I would pray, God, right now, I pray that you would fill her with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I'd come right here to Bellevue, down to that little baseball park down there, and I'd pray that. I'd pray for her to be filled with wisdom and understanding, verse 10, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. I would say, God, help me and help her to right now and one day in our marriage to walk worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of you, God. Strengthen us with all power, God. Strengthen her with all power according to your glorious might so that you may, ha so that you may have glorious and Endurance and patience, Father. I pray right now, God, for me and my singleness to have endurance and patience to chase after you. And, Father, I pray for whoever I'm going to marry one day that right now they're not wasting singleness. I pray they're not thinking about me. God, I pray right now, whoever she is, that she is having patience and focusing on you. <laughs> Right now, I will pray these verses. I remember like it's yesterday. Giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Look at this. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Father, I pray that my future wife has been transferred from the domain of darkness and has come to know the saving power of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would save her and that you are using her now to lead other people to Christ, all for your kingdom's name. Because I know, verse 14, that in Jesus Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And I would pray that desperately. And I'd get up off the park, I'd leave, and I'd go focus on not finding a wife, but loving God, loving people, sharing Jesus, and making disciples. Let me ask you something. What's stopping you from praying that way? If you're dating, what's stopping you from praying that every day over the person you're dating? If you're not dating, if you're single, what's stopping you from praying over the person that you're going to date one day and praying that over yourself? If you're engaged, if you're married, what's stopping you? You know what? Distractions. We're so distracted today that we don't take time to pray. You don't believe in anything that you don't truly pray for. Pray. B is pray for purity. Pray for salvation. Pray for that relationship in Christ and then pray for purity. We talked a lot about that last week. A great verse when it comes to Lust and sexual immorality is Psalm chapter 139, verses 23 and 30 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. 
Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. C is pray for calling. And I want to talk about this for a minute. Pray for calling. There's a lot of people who commit to a serious relationship without ever talking about calling. That's a big deal. And I want you to hear me. That's a big deal. You need to understand what calling God has placed on that person you're wanting to date or that person that you're dating and what call God has placed on you. For example, if you feel called to be a missionary in Africa, but they feel called to be an engineer in Memphis, that's a big deal. If you feel called to be a pastor, but she doesn't feel called to be a pastor's wife, that's a big deal. And you don't talk about that on first date. But when you start dating, you have to have those conversations about calling and saying, what, has, what do you believe God has called you to? Because let me tell you something. God does not bring two people together in marriage and then call them in different directions. He doesn't do it. He brings them together as one flesh and then calls them in one direction. And so as me and Hannah were dating, I realized she does feel the call to be a pastor's wife, and I feel called to be a pastor. And we started realizing that God was lining up these two highways to come together to best glorify God. In your walk, you can be praying today that, some, that God would bring somebody who shares and aligns in your calling. The last thing you want to do is get to a place where you've dated for three years and then start talking about calling and realize that they want to do this way over here and you're headed this way. There's people I know who have had to have those hard conversations where their callings didn't match up. They were too different. And that's a big deal. That's a hard conversation. Listen, pray over whoever it is, that God would align your callings to go in the same direction. And then D, this is the longest sub-point I've ever done, and I'm very excited about it. I hope that you'll write it all down. D is pray for Christ-like, unconditional, sacrificial, self-denying love. Pray for Christ-like, unconditional, sacrificial Self-denying love. There's not a single person in my life who has showed me this kind of love the way that my wife Hannah has showed me this kind of love. And I want to tell you that the success of marriage is this. I have a clearer picture of how Jesus loves me because of how Hannah loves Jesus and how she loves me. That's the success of marriage. That when I think about Christ, I have a clearer view of who he is. The mystery of Christ's love has been revealed in the way that Hannah loves me. But I want to know, I want to tell you something. I have one last twist before we land the plane. Well, hear this. Don't miss this. This is important. When I was single or dating or even now, hear me. I did not pray for Hannah to love me this way. I prayed for Hannah to love Jesus that way. Because this is what I realized. If me and Hannah love Jesus in a sacrificial, unconditional, self-denying way, we will love each other in an unconditional, sacrificial, self-denying way. I don't pray for her to love me that way. I pray for her to love Jesus that way. Can I tell you something? Pray that you 
right now, whether you're single, dating, engaged, or married, that you love Jesus Christ. You love, love, love him in an unconditional, self-denying, sacrificial way. Love him and then pray for whoever you're with or going to be with that they would love Jesus in that unconditional, sacrificial, self-denying way. And I promise you, if you too will love Jesus that way, you will have a marriage that ultimately brings God glory. Amen? Amen. What I do know, though, in a room this big, is that there's many in the room tonight who don't know Jesus at all. There's many in the room tonight who have never entered into that relationship with Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Let's all stand up for a moment. I just want you to put your stuff away, and as you're standing up, you can bow your heads with me in this moment. I just I want it to be you and me in this moment. Let's kind of lock in. With all heads bowed, nobody looking around, I just want to talk to you for a moment. I've got one invitation for those in the room that don't know Jesus, and then I have an invitation for those who do know Jesus. My first invitation for, for you tonight who, you know, you hear me talk about Jesus loving us and sacrificing himself for us. I want you to know that that is very real. Jesus Christ laid down his life so that you could experience heaven. He stepped down from heaven to earth, lived a sinless life. He loved people. He cared for people. He was gentle with people. He was kind with people. And he laid down his life. They spit on him. They mocked him. They beat him. They ripped the skin off his back, all because they hated him. The world hated him. The world hated hated Jesus so much that they nailed him to a cross. They laid out his hands. They put his feet together, and they crucified him to a cross at 9 a.m. And it was at 3 p.m. that he, on his own, gave up his spirit, showing that even crucified on a cross, Jesus was in control. If Jesus is in control after hours on a cross, let me tell you something. He is in control of your life. What do you have to worry about?